Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around cybersecurity for quite a long time and been working with cybersecurity vendors all my life. As part of my work, I am doing consulting for vendors and companies in general. As part of my mission and love for technology, I always intrigued to understand how companies start and what motivated the vendors and the founders to start their journey. This podcast is also affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. And this particular episode number 10 is a special episode because today we're going to talk to Richard that don't have a company in cybersecurity, but has a company around cybersecurity vendors. Richard, can you please tell me about yourself and the company? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yes, I'm an industry analyst. And the best way to think of that is like Gartner, only independent. And I used to work at Gartner. That's kind of where I learned that I actually like the things associated with being an analyst, speaking, researching, talking to vendors, which I do a lot of, probably maybe as much as you do. I don't know. And the vendors want to brief the analysts. So they do that. And I quite often I work with vendors on their go-to-market or they'll actually hire me for a white paper or a webinar or they used to hire me for public speaking. As a matter of fact, that used to be my business was trying to do public speaking as much as I could. COVID put a complete stop to that. So today, you know, I, I write books on the security space. I wrote one book in particular on security vendors. So it's a history of the vendor space and has a list of all the vendors in it. And that all keeps me very busy. Thank you. So what motivated you to start company to categorize all the vendors and you and me spoke about the topic multiple times for the last i don't know six seven years yeah and you've been very helpful all along the way and what motivated me was okay if i'm going to launch my own firm i want to fill in the gaps that i felt were missing when i was at gartner and what was missing was gartner's data quest when i joined gartner i expected to have access to all this data from data quest but Gartner had de-emphasized the value of data quests after they bought them for $75 million in 1995. By the time I got there, they're useless to me. So when I launched IT Harvest, the name of the company Harvest was to harvest all the data and put it in a form that I can use to mine and draw insights, et cetera. So that was the motivation. And trying to do that for 17 years as we've gone back and forth, and it was the impetus of publishing the book got me to clean up the data so it was publishable. And I realized after doing that three years in a row, it was ready to launch into an app. So now I've moved away from the old Google Sheets I used to use and share with my researchers around the world. And now we've got an app and we just put the data directly into the app. Don't need Google Sheets anymore. And it's faster to find a vendor, find a category vendor, sort, extract the data with the app than it is with a Google Sheet. So that's kind of how I got here. So the app started when? Six, seven years ago or earlier? 18 years ago, we built the earliest version of the app. We hired a local web developer who could do a database backend and he built this complicated thing and it costs, I think it was a total of $40,000. Wow. And but we, we only knew how to sell to vendors back then. And we got lots of vendors to sign up for a subscription, but they never logged in. And so they weren't using the app. They were just using the access to the analysts that vendors will pay for. So 17 years ago, I'm wondering 
if you remember, how many vendors you had there? There were 1,300 back then. Wow. So and right now, I believe we're talking about 4,000? I have collected data on 3,040. And at the rate I'm going, I'm thinking that there'll be at least 3,750. So we're talking about yeah. vendors that have a product. We're not talking about managed right. service providers because this is something right. we discuss on LinkedIn. If you take managed service provider and services company, we're probably looking towards 6,000. Oh, or double. Or even more. Or even yeah, double. yeah. And then you, the other thing I don't track is resellers and distributors, cyber insurance companies, law firms, headhunters, you know, a lot of people with cybersecurity specialties that don't have products. I always ask people, how did you do market research? Why did you think people would need this data? So what was your steps to understand? Yeah, great question because the, so first of all, I had to pick, if I was going to do this, who would be the buyer, right? So I identify an ideal customer profile <clears throat> and part of the data collection we did was to collect all the investors in cybersecurity of which there are 2,200. And that's a big enough market for me to go after and, and build a viable business. So that's what we're going after. And that's all of our reach out is to those. We know who they are. We can quickly find how to contact them and reach out to them. But <clears throat> since we launched in March, we've gotten 10 uh, seed holders. And they're paying subscribers and only one of them is an investor, one of the biggest private equity firms. All the rest are people who sell to cybersecurity companies. So headhunters, podcasters, webinar producers, video producers, events people, they're the ones that are interested in that they have the shortest fuse because they can get this and immediately start using the data. And I've determined investors need this. It's like a nice to have. It's going to shorten their research cycles. And it'll certainly make the job of the people who do the actual research for them a lot easier. But the investors we're talking to are all partners. They don't actually do that, right? They're seeing the result of all that work. So we're shifting gears and we're targeting the researchers at investors who will look at it and just go, we need this. Let's see what we can do to get it. So market research was going one direction and the reality, the people that wanted was a bit different. It's quite yep. interesting as well. Yep. So I used the classic, I don't know until I start showing people. So we created the MVP, started showing people and then used their real-time feedback to change the product and change our positioning. So what goes first, marketing or the product? Right now the product does. Though our go-to-market methodology is sales-led growth, not product-led growth, because it's product-led growth usually means there's a freemium and a low-cost option. And because our, we put so much effort into putting the data together, we can't have a freemium or low-cost option because somebody would just come in and grab the data and they could do whatever they want with it. True, true. Did you decide to do it by yourself or in one point you're thinking maybe to partner with someone and what will be the benefit in your case to map a partner or go solo? Yeah, so I always wanted to go solo, you know, as far as ownership of a product went. And I reached out to probably eight different development firms in 
India, Ukraine, Philippines, all over the world and here in the U.S. And they would all give me estimates of how much to build the product. But they all asked up front for wireframes and complete specs for what the product does. And I was at a total loss. My only way to guide anybody was, okay, I want all the functionality of a Google Sheet, only better, you know, and with subscriptions and stuff tacked on the front end. So, and that was just, they're all coming in at 50,000. 50,000 in three to four months to get to a MVP that I could test. So I hired an intern who's really good. You've met him, Maximilian. And he's essentially a partner, and he, but he's, he just built it all in no code. So in the goal was the MVP, get something where we'd start showing people, giving their feedback and making improvements. Along the way, we discovered no code is perfectly fine for relatively small data sets. We've got 100,000 data points. And the scale, I'm not going to scale to a million users ever. Might scale to 500 or 1,000. But in that time, we'll be able to evaluate whether no code is still a good enough platform and we have to move to more traditional stacks. There's probably a lot of tasks that are on, on your mind. How do you decide how to prioritize tasks and what to do? Uh, it's pretty easy. Customer requests first, right? Is that everything else goes to the side while I'm working on the customer requests. And then my team, when they've got requests or questions, think I've got to respond to them next so that they don't stop working, waiting for my answers. And then after that, it's the work on the longer term stuff that, that I've got that might be a week. But this week, I want to have a LinkedIn post that you know describes, I'm working right now, I'm working on the entire Indian cybersecurity market. And I want to get that out by the end of the week. And that'll presumably have a big impact because nobody's ever done that. Very interesting. So we're going to switch topics. We're going to talk about the dark side right now. Okay. This section is open right now. Eventually, probably we're going to be for Patreon only. And if you guys are listening, please continue listening and sign up for the podcast. Like us, comment, and sign up for the Patreon as well. Richard, we will be talking about what went wrong. And you mentioned in the beginning, you started 17 years ago. So I'm sure multiple times something went wrong. Can you share some horror stories? <clears throat> Absolutely. So twice... In this process, let me describe the business. And this is probably true for everybody who's a gig worker, right? Most of my business is with vendors, therefore, you know, doing marketing kind of things, right? Content creation, speaking events, etc. Between the end of May and the first of September, that work disappears because the marketers see that nobody responds to their webinars or events in the summer especially in Europe, because everybody's out of office. So there's no work for those three months of the year. So you're going along merrily, and all of a sudden you're in June and you have zero income, and yet you still have all the mortgage to pay and the bills to pay, et cetera. Yet you do that for three months, and it's getting really tight at the end of August. 
And then September comes and you've got your first speaking gigs, et cetera. And all of a sudden the money starts to flow, but you're paying off all your credit cards. You're paying off the mortgage. So every single dollar that comes in September, October, November, December goes to catch up for that cash flow loss. But a lot of money came in. So January 1st, you owe $100,000 in income taxes, both wow. between federal and state. So then you scramble between January 1st and April 15th to make enough money so you can pay. And quite often you miss that. So now you've got a debt liability to the IRS. Twice, I've had to shut down and take a full-time job to cover that, right? And then I negotiate with the people that hire me to pay off my debt to the IRS. And, you know, if I'd never, if I'd been better at managing cash flow or if I had more cash available when I started, then I wouldn't have had to take that total of four years out to work as CMO of Fortinet, and Chief Strategy Officer of Blanco Technology Group which never went anywhere, right? Because those jobs didn't last very long. But, and every time you do that, you really upset your customers because all of a sudden you went to work and some of them feel you went to work for their competitor. So they hate that. So that's the the darkest side, I'll say, in public about, <laughs> about this job. Thank you for sharing. It's definitely <laughs> important. And I don't think everybody will... You're sharing something like this, so thank you for sharing definitely. I also remember some stories about people that write in the code for you disappearing, or maybe I'm wrong. Uh, the sales ghosting, probably. Uh, yeah. Or sales ghosting, or somebody was writing the code for you and then, then, then they disappeared. Yeah, that was the early story. Yeah, he disappeared and held down to the code, so I couldn't make changes. That happened. Oh, and then while I was putting together the first security yearbook, I needed a developer who could extract data and format it properly, a bunch of Python scripts or SQL queries or both. And he was in Uzbekistan and he's great, but he would disappear for six months at a time. So that would give me the impetus to find a different path to get to the same solution. So right now, the vendor database is version number three, four overall? Version number three. We just moved it from one platform to a second platform for the database back end to give us more granular control over who has access to what fields. Great. I think this is definitely you guys moving to the right direction. And it's an information that people need. Interesting enough that you mentioned that not the investors, but the people that want to use the database for working with the vendors, they definitely want to use it. But I have a feeling that the vendors themselves, so for example, what I'm thinking in my mind, if you're a vendor and you want to know who compete with the CSPM space, for example, I know it's a problematic category. Yep, in yep. Your, <laughs> like, where do you put it under cloud security or somebody else? Or if you're an API security company, you probably would like to know who is in the space. Mm -hmm. So I assume they eventually come and also would like to use the database as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I've got one vendor in the IoT security space that came to me and they said, hey, you know, they're friends. And they said, hey, who are, give me a list of all the IoT vendors. They didn't even ask for it. They just asked how many there were. And so here's the list. I gave them the entire spreadsheet. 
headcount, investment, location. They came back and signed up overnight. It was amazing. So there's that was an interesting lesson learned. Do more data sharing and people will see the value and come to it. Great. Richard, thank you very much. Anything else you want to share? No, that's been wonderful. I love talking about things I'm working on. Awesome. Thank you. Everybody that's listening, please subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.